no matter how many like how understaffed you are or anything like that if you can create like a positive buzz and a positive vibe in the shop you'll you'll succeed like you'll always be able to manage to keep people happy you know what i mean they'll be happy to wait an extra five minutes for a coffee if everyone is happy and everyone's having a good time and Welcome to A Table for Two, inspiring and educational interviews and stories with the best operators, owners, and entrepreneurs in business and the hospitality industry. My name is Phil Halani, and on today's episode, we chat to Oshin Arakilian, owner of the Valley Specialty Coffee in West Penna Hills. Oshin went to university to study law, but once he had graduated, he knew his future lied in hospitality. He has now been in the industry for over 15 years and has built an amazing reputation within the cafe and coffee industry. One of Osh's best qualities is his positive can-do attitude. Nothing is ever a problem, and he's always smiling. I love the conversation I had with Oshin. He doesn't hold back when it comes to certain topics, especially when it comes to people leaving reviews, which we had a really good laugh about. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast as much as I did. A quick shout-out to our good friends at ProCal Dairies, Sonoma Baking Co., and MD Providence, who are passionate about supporting small businesses, the hospitality industry, and also this podcast. I got my start in hospitality when I was in high school, um, a little later on in high school, actually. I was in year 11, and um, <laughs> my cousin Ronnie, funniest guy ever, he, um, he was working in a cafe in Castle Hill, at Castle Towers, run by a Persian family. And they needed a dishy, and I needed a job, because <laughs> essentially it got to a point where I was in high school, you want to start taking out girls, you know, you want to go to a movie. It's, it's not as expensive, you know, it wasn't expensive back then as it is now, but you need some income, baby. <laughs> I can't, like, <laughs> I can't keep hitting up my parents and going, Mum, Dad, I need $50 to take a girl out on Saturday. That comes with a lot of questions. <laughs> they want to run down of who it is before they fork up the cash. They want to meet her before you even take her out. 100%. When's a dowry? <laughs> yeah. So he said, look, there's a cafe in Castle Hill looking for a job. You know, they need a dishy three, four days a week. So I was like, I better approach my parents about this. So with my parents, my parents used to actually own a nightclub, roller skating rink, restaurant, and a gym. Wow. In St. Mary's. Really? In St. Mary's. So where the old, um, so right now it's a shooting range. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, they used to be theirs and used to be like a massive... How old, how old were you when they owned it? I was a little baby. Okay. So I used great. to get babysat by, you know, thick bodyguards on a Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I approached my parents and I said, listen, I really want to work, you know, with Ronnie at this cafe. I'm going to be a kitchen hand. They were like, oh, shit. All right. He really wants to put his foot in it, doesn't he? Okay, fine. Fine. Do it. Two days a week, though. So when... Started working, didn't know what I was getting into. Owners were lovely. They, they were lovely. My parents were not because they would visit every fucking weekend on a Saturday and Sunday and nitpick and talk to the owner and tell me what I was doing right, what I was doing wrong, just by watching me for hours, for hours on end. So started working there and then from there I kind of, I got a, I got a smell for I got a smell. I got a taste for it. I wanted to do more. So um, from Casbah, I stopped for a bit. And then once I started 
university because obviously you know it, it was it was more it was it was more of a job just for me back then when yeah. I first started it, it wasn't something that I wanted to get into um, but as soon, as soon as high school was over and I got into uni I was like you know what hospitality is a great way to meet girls <laughs> it's fantastic <laughs> your wife better not be listening to this podcast man oh she definitely will be that's fine <laughs> She knows what I'm like, Phil. She knows. She- yeah, I'm an animal. <laughs> In a good way, don't worry. <laughs> so yeah, I um I just I just fell into it just for just because I needed I needed some sort of income, you know, to keep me going, to keep me sane, so I didn't have to get drilled by my parents every week if I wanted to take someone out. And it's progressed from there. So you so you obviously went to university. Did you yep. do did you do any education? In hospitality, like was there any study, formal studies, or was it more just you oh. learn as you go? Oh, Phil, there's another story. So, after high school, I thought I'd make something of myself and go to university um, to study law. So, I ended up going to Macquarie Uni, doing a double degree, a Bachelor of Arts, a BA majoring in um, commercial law, and a Bachelor of Laws. So. Hospitality, it, it really wasn't. It really wasn't something that you know I thought about doing as like a career at at any point um, until later on. But what happened was um, when I started when I started university and I started seeing like the campus. You walk around and you can see there's certain spots in the university that are always busy, always buzzing. You know what I mean? Mm. And you gravitate and you're like, oh, what's going on here? And then you go and then it could be like this really cool little cafe on campus, you know? You go there to study, you go there to chill out with friends, whatever. So I essentially just started studying, um, jumped around a bit, you know, changing, changing my majors. But mostly I tried to focus on law just to try and get through it. It was more for my parents' sake, to be honest. Because, as you know, what parents... <laughs> Lawyer or doctor, <laughs> there is no in between. So, I was studying. Oh, I mean, I was enjoying it, but my heart wasn't really in it. You know, um, it was more so for my parents' sake, not in a bad way, but you know, it, what do you like? What's bad about having a law degree? It's great. You, you know, even you don't use it, it's a great backup. Well, it turns out, as we'll find out later, it comes in very handy if you try to open a shop. <laughs> <laughs> But no formal education in hospitality, nothing like that, you know, none of it. It, w- it was just essentially like I went to university, studied for seven years, got my degree, met my wife, got the hell out. Okay, so, it. so obviously no formal education in hospitality, but to, can you talk to us about your, your, the hospitality journey from pretty much from uni to opening your first business? Whoa, what a journey. Good journey, oh, huh? Oh I'm interested. I haven't heard this yet, so I'm, I'm very excited. Haven't you? No, man. Oh my god, there's so many, there's so many different parts in the road, Phil. <laughs> I'm all ears. Good one. So, I was working a bunch of odd jobs um, at uni. I was doing like night fill and stuff at Woolies, and um, I was just, <laughs> I was just trying to find ways to make money, um, not being a dishy, or you know, trying, try, trying to, trying to work in like a job that required a lot of physical labour, you know. I was very lazy. I was very lazy when I was younger. <laughs> I mean, I still am in other ways. But <laughs> now, you just, now you just delegate really well. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think I do, but 
I don't even know if I do that very well. My wife will tell you. <laughs> he's full of shit. But um, so I was working a bunch of odd jobs when I was at uni when I was studying. And I was trying to figure out, um, you know, what I, what I wanted to do essentially um, later on after university. Because I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. There was no way. And what I would do was I, um, I started going to a cafe in Macquarie Centre across the road. Um, <laughs> really, really, really trendy cafe in terms of like for its time at Macquarie Centre as what, well. What was the name? The Missing Piece. Oh, yeah, the boys that. Then they ended up opening a few more cafes. They did. Yeah. They did. Yeah, yeah. Brendan, Matt and their sister Sarah. Yeah. So they have Missing Piece, Vogue Cafe. And then they had Hattrick as well, yeah. which is like a huge restaurant downstairs. So I started going there when I was studying. And then I was just looking around, you know, talking talking to the staff, interacting with everyone, trying to get a feel of like, you know, what, what it means to be in this kind of an industry. Because I'd always, I'd always been curious, but I never really like, you know, thought about it seriously, you know. I, w- I was doing I was doing so many different things at the time as well. I don't even know if you know this. So after uni and towards the end of uni, um, I was doing things like I was painting cars, I was airbrushing, I was doing body work in my garage, much to my neighbour's disgust, you know, um, because I would just spray paint all over the houses, <laughs> just car paint. Didn't of course even you care. <laughs> and it was in North Rock. It's like an affluent area, really nice houses, you know rich old white people and there's this 20 year old wog guy spraying cars <laughs> in his garage oh my god it was terrible but I'd, I'd done a whole bunch of odd jobs to you know get my way through uni and stuff and then <laughs> what happened was I um I started getting heavily into um high-end luxury watches you know Rolexes Panerais IWCs stuff like that and then I started doing that for a while, um, writing, reviewing. I'd go to events. I'd get invited places. Um, you know, I'd, I'd end up going to Switzerland, to Baselworld, to the Watch and Jewelry Fair um, to cover that and to meet everyone and whatnot. And, you know, it was, it was, it was great. It was great. But um, what ended up happening was um, I had to make a choice. So the funny thing is when I was doing all this, I was with, you know, my now wife, Sarah, and <clears throat> we were both working, like, we were fine, you know, we were renting a nice little villa, it was great, but then it got to a point where when we started getting serious about buying a house, settling down, I still didn't have a career, I had no idea, you and, know. And law wasn't an option. Oh, God, no, holy shit. As it turns out, it's just like, oh, it's, it's, it's honestly... It, it saps your humanity out of you. It's as much as you don't think it will, Phil, it saps it out of you. You know, the things you have to deal with is horrendous. So I told myself, I was like, I've always loved, I've always loved going to cafes and stuff. I love the environment, you know. I love the workers there. Everyone's like, you know, usually upbeat. They're really friendly. They're really nice, you know. They make you feel welcome and you interact, you get to know them, yeah. you know, find out about their daily lives and whatnot and what's going on outside of work and all that jazz. And I was like, you know what? I could really enjoy this. I really could. So what I did was I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to ta- take a risk. Like I'll take a chance. I won't, I won't say anything to my parents 
about what I'm what, I, what I'm going to do because they had no idea that I was just going to go AWOL from everything and just, you know, <laughs> start working in a cafe. So I just decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the first job that I see that actually looks, you know, like it's like it's a nice start into getting into this industry and figuring it out. So <clears throat> I started. Um, I actually started at... <laughs> So uh, really good, really good friends of mine from a cafe that I used to go to, um, Josh and Dave. So they own, they own this amazing, amazing spot in Dalich Hill called the General Eatery. Oh, I've heard of that, yeah. Amazing. And they're both, so they're the two owners. They're both the head chefs there as well. And their background is they both used to be at Jonah's on Whale Beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and Dave ended up working at my local, the Baron in Castle Hill. Mm. So I used to go there every day and then I was friends with the head barista, Sam. And then once Dave moved on to open his own place, I was like, shit, okay, this is a chance. You know, there was like a period where they were hiring and I was like, I'll just get my foot in the door. Sam, Sam will recommend me, even though he doesn't know, you know, what I'm going to be like anyway. But he's a friend, right? <laughs> friends, a friend. friends do that. 100%. That's right. So I ended up, Going, applying for the job there. And it was a job uh, just as like a barman, you know, serving drinks and whatnot, helping out, running their nights. Um, and then every now and then I'd work like on the weekend during the day. So day service, <clears throat> which I had no idea about, nothing. And I drowned. So were you working in any other hospitality, any other job at this point or just that? No, I was doing the watches and stuff. Okay, yeah. So... I just decided to jump into it. I was like, fuck it, I'll take a chance. I'll jump into it and I'll just see where I land and see where it takes me. So I started. And straight away, the first night of the first night of service, it was it was good. Like it was busy. And I'm there in the bar and I'm like, holy shit, I've got to fucking make drinks. And I've got to like serve these I've got to serve these people something. So I ended up working there for a bit. And then what happened was I found that the, the boys would always be in the kitchen laughing at me in the bar because they would notice. Um, they're like, this guy's really funny. He doesn't know what he's fucking doing, but he's <laughs> keeping everyone entertained and they've got no idea they're waiting 45 minutes for a drink. <laughs> you're, you're, like, just, you're just making them laugh. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, they approached me afterwards and they're like, your customer service is great, Osh, but your wait times are fucking horrendous. <laughs> it's just like... They're getting their food and they got new drinks. And I was like, oh, yeah, but we've been talking, you know. I don't know. You, uh, I make drinks in between. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can. So I worked there for a bit. And then after that, <clears throat> I moved on. I moved on to another cafe to, to try and, like, expand what I wanted to do. Like, I'd done nights for a while. It was nice, but it kind of wasn't, you know wasn't my thing and I was really big into coffee like love specialty coffee loved it and I really wanted to like get into that so what I did was I started making coffee at home for a bit and applying for like a bunch of a bunch of like you know really just shit kicker barista jobs just you know wherever I could mm. and then <laughs> I knew I had enough skill to get something you know, just any job, any job. It didn't didn't matter what kind of barista job it was. I could get something at least. I had experience. 
And then what happened was <laughs> the, place, the place that ended up hiring me was a really, really high-end... It was a really high-end cafe that was on the northern beaches at Avalon <laughs> called um, Small Town Avalon. Yeah. Really famous. Like, everyone... Everyone knew the owners, Raul and his and his missus. His his missus, I can't remember her name for the life of me, but she was really famous for her donuts and stuff. And then the chef was really well known as well. And Raul was really well known because he was like a top barista. He was mm. amazing. And this this guy, I walked in, he's like, Yeah, you're fucking hired, man. You start on the weekend. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, that's great. <laughs> so I started without any sort of, you know, experience in specialty coffee. Wow. You know what I mean? I drank it. I loved it. But in terms of making it and serving it to others, zero. So what, what, what made him hire you? Like, what was it? Was he just desperate for staff or what was it? Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't desperation. It was, more, it was more to do with the fact that, like, I presented myself in a way that I was like really keen to learn and develop and like I had some I had knowledge but it wasn't it wasn't knowledge in terms of like service mm. you know what I mean it was knowledge in terms of like understanding coffee well that, that all, all that stuff can be trained but obviously you must have seen something in you that said well this guy obviously he's keen he's committed he wants to learn he's got a great attitude that stuff you can't train yeah 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 that's right you can't and um, what ended up happening was he learned very quick that I was shit at service because I couldn't handle a rush whatsoever, you know? So, so we ended up working together for a bit and he was, he was, you know, training me in like, even, even small things that you wouldn't even think of, like pouring latte art, what to pour at any given point in the day. You know what I mean? Don't explain, explain a bit more. Sorry. So what happened was on the weekend, um, I had, I had basic idea of like, you know, Latte out. I could pour latte out. It was fine. But during a rush period, if you're getting slammed, you've still got to maintain some sort of standard, right? 100%, yeah. But if you've got 12 dockets and <laughs> they're, they're watching you trying to pour like a 15-stack fucking tulip and it's taking you like two minutes a cup, you'll drown. Mm. you know. And he's like, Oi. He's, he was Brazilian, so you can imagine the accent thick just like, what the fuck are you doing, bro? It's like, you fucking point tulip, just do your rosetta. Get the fuck out. It's like, uh, my rosettas look like shit. <laughs> and he's like, it doesn't matter, bro. It's fucking service. Just do it. Just get it out. It's fine. So, so he's like, he told me that you don't, you, you don't have time to just pour even the latte out that you want. Mm. You've, got to, you've got to structure it in a way where it's manageable. Otherwise, you're going to be waiting for 45 minutes, you know? So I ended up staying there for a while, learning a lot more about specialty coffee from, from Raul and figuring out like the ins and outs of actually running like a busy service on coffee. And then after that, um, it was really funny. Um, I ended up applying for a job with a really well-known really well guy that we're friends with. Who is it? Miss you, Zach. From Regiment. Oh, wow, Zach. <laughs> yeah, so I ended up applying for a job with him when he had his um, cafe on the Optus campus. Okay. It was called Batch ZKK, and it was like, 
it was a really good it was a really good transition because that it went I went from like a specialty coffee shop that was a bit a bit slower in terms of service. It was still busy, but it wasn't corporate. Like too yeah. Yeah, and I went to a corporate environment straight away as soon as I like thought I had the experience there. So I ended up applying there, going to work for Zach. As soon as I started working there, I was like, holy shit, this is like a different beast altogether. Like I was hanging two litre jugs of milk on both sides of the machine, using both steam ones. There's like 60 coffee cups at any given time on top of the machine. All takeaway orders from like the Optus campus, from the other buildings outside the Optus campus. And it taught me real quick, just how insanely busy that kind of an environment is. Mm. I'll never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't interest you? <laughs> it was good, but it wasn't it, it wasn't what I was interested in. Mm. It, it was too fast-paced. I don't fucking want to serve latte, three sugars, two splashes of caramel. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. As much as I, as much as like, <laughs> you, you do what you're told. Well, we're, we're going like, to talk more about the coffee. Yeah. That, you know, they're kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like I was with Zach and then um, unfortunately, like I had like a couple of family things that came on. My dad ended up having like a triple bypass, had oh, two wow. stents put in and it was like crazy. So I was like, oh, shit. Okay, I need to like take a step back for a bit. So I ended up leaving there. And then not long after, um, the guys at Macquarie approached me about... Missing Peace Boys. Yeah, yeah. They approached me and they're like, holy shit, you've been working as a barista for ages now. What the hell is this? You're doing watches and shit sitting on our bar. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in hospitality now. Like I just, I put my foot in it and I never looked back. And that was it. And they're like, well, come work for us. Okay, done. Easy choice. So I worked there for a while. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. The vibe there was really good. It was actually one of, <coughs> one of the first, one of the last venues I checked out before I opened Percy's. And I remember the vibe and, and everyone was having fun. The staff oh, was, was happy. It was a very good culture. It was such a good culture. And the music was so loud. You could literally hear it from all the way down the corridor, like mm. all the way down. Music has so many complaints from people that are like, this music's too fucking loud. <laughs> I'm like, you could hear it walking up to the shop and you still chose to sit down, idiot. Why would you sit here? I was like, you know the music's loud. Yeah. What, 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 what did that, um, before we talk about obviously moving on to the valley, mm-hmm. what did the culture there teach you? What did that teach you working with those boys? That... <clears throat> Regardless of, regardless of what the situation is, no matter how busy it is, no matter how like flustered you are, no matter how many like, how, how understaffed you are or anything like that, if you can create like a positive buzz and a positive vibe in the shop, you'll, you'll succeed. Like you'll always be able to manage to keep people happy. You know what I mean? they'll be happy to wait an extra five minutes for a coffee if everyone is happy and everyone's having a good time and you know, yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. Like, you know, walking around with a fucking miserable smirk on your face because you're just like, I can't stand this shit. Everyone's pissing me off. It's useless. Mm. You know, people don't want to see that. Yeah. I didn't want to see it when I was a customer there. So it was like staff, you know, it was like a barista there. Can you imagine? Holy shit. That would have been like horrendous. So it really taught me that 
doesn't matter what doesn't matter what's going on in the shop itself. If you can create a positive attitude and positive vibe, you'll keep everyone happy. And even staff like play off that as well. Oh, totally, yeah. You know, which makes a massive difference, especially if you're a busy shop mm. because there's times where you're just like inundated, like inundated. I remember me and the owner, Brendan, worked um, <laughs> Boxing Day. It was Boxing Day. It was me and Brendan. Got in in the morning. We're like, we're gonna get fucking destroyed. <laughs> it's like today is gonna be a day where we, we, you know, where we earn our keep. So, set up at seven in the morning. By like quarter past seven, the docket rail was full. Wow. Full. There was like sixteen dockets there, and it didn't stop. Didn't stop till 3.34 in the afternoon. At any given point, we had 20, 25 dockets on the bottom. And we had like 30, 40 takeaway lids on top. Wow. Then it got to a point in the day where you couldn't stop. You knew you were just buzzing. You know, you could feel it. And then what we'd have to do is run into the corridor across, the, across from the cafe, stretch our legs out, you know what I mean? Get the cramps out of our feet and then run back and keep pouring coffee. Everyone's like, what the fuck are they doing? They're running into the corridor and stretching out and going back and pouring coffee. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's either that or you don't get your coffee. Yeah, exactly. Like, but honestly, that's that's the biggest thing I took away from that place. So, so after working with the boys um, at Missing Peas, what, how long? What was the journey like from there to to the, your first venue? From there to the first venue, um, what I did was. After, after Macquarie, I kind of like, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm, hitting, I'm hitting my peak. There's nowhere else to go, you know. I've, I've learned so much. I've done so much. At this point, it's been like, it's been years, you know. And I was like, okay, well, I, ne- I, need, to fi- I need to find something. I need to find a job that's sustainable for now while I'm working towards opening my own place. And then what happened was I ended up helping out at um, a little local cafe that was really busy near my house. And I knew the owner. Um, and she was lovely, purple. She's, oh my gosh, she's a cracker. Amazing, amazing lady. So I ended up working at her cafe for a while. It was literally a 500 meter walk from my house. So it was like amazing. I had so much time to kind of like think about what I wanted to do, kind of figure out like a game plan for the future. So I ended up working for her for a while. <clears throat> and then during that time, I met, um, I met a couple who I would end up opening, the, opening my first shop with, um, who were customers there. Um, and at the, time, at the time, I thought, oh, okay, they, they seem like they're super keen. You know, they really want to do this. They love the industry. They're here every day, like asking questions and, you know, showing me things like, like ideas for fit outs and stuff like that. And I was like, oh shit, okay. And then when they found out that I wanted to do my own place and I was working towards that, they were like, oh, well, we know you. You seem like you're super keen on this and we are as well. They weren't in the industry at the time? Oh God, no. No, no. No. So they just seen you, you knew what you were doing and then they obviously wanted to be part of that. 100%, exactly, yeah. yeah. So we ended up sitting down and talking for a while back and forth for a couple of months, figuring out, you know, what we could do together. And then she had seen a space in Blacktown 
It was actually Layla Park, if you can believe it. Literally, like, former crack capital of Australia, Layla Park. You know what I mean? Just... It's like you hear about it in Australian rap songs. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you, know I mean? you know it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know it's like real grunge, real yeah. ghetto. Um, but she liked the area because she grew up around there. And so we went and had a look at a space there. And I was like, okay, all right. Corner block. This is awesome. Okay. Big space, big backyard. Yeah. All right. I was like, look, the area is a bit shit just because it, there was literally nothing there. There was mm. nothing. All the other buildings that were like next to us were vacant. Had been for years. Industrial? No, it was residential. Resident. But it was like a small block of just shops. Okay. All vacant, all vandalized. And I was like, shit. It's like, it, I was like, you know what? I told him, I'll make it work. Don't worry. If, if you guys are really set on the spot, we'll make it work. Fuck it. We'll do something nice. And then it just started from there. The process began. And it was like, a very, very painful process. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that space had no landlord that we knew attached to it and no real estate agent that we knew that was attached to it either. As we'll find out later for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up trying to like figure out who the, who the last real estate agent was that you know, manage the property. Ended up finding her. She was working in Darling Harbour. She's like, are you really interested in that space? I was it's like, it's Layla Park. It's been vacant for years. There's shit everywhere. The roof is caving in. Like everything's fucked. You'll have to start from scratch, literally. So what we did was <clears throat> we ended up approaching him and saying, look, we really want the space. Like, it's, we, we can do something really special with this space. We're like, we looked around, all residential, there was a public school up the road. And then <clears throat> she ended up putting us in contact with the landlord. <laughs> I'm going to give you a name and you'll probably laugh your ass off if I tell you who the landlord was for this property. Who was it? Salim Mahaja. No way. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Showing up to Layla Park in a red fucking Ferrari in a Ferrari jacket <laughs> for this shop. What's the chances? There you go. What are the chances, right? So <laughs> we had for back and forth. And then it ended up being, he just wanted to like lease the spaces, whatever. And we were like, okay, fine, fine. It's, you know, whatever. I was like, we just want the space. Don't care about the landlord, whatever. We'll deal with the real estate agent. Mm. It's fine. So go through all the paperwork and everything. Um, and as it turns out, because he really d didn't give a shit about anything, um, the lease that we got was just... Really? Like, oh, $325 a week, including agonies. Wow. <laughs> For like a... I think the entire space was like 140 metres square including the backyard. So, so we were like, okay, there's no negotiations here. <laughs> Sign the lease. Sign the lease. Thank you very much. And then from there, from there it just started. We, um, <clears throat> I called my cousin Ronnie because now, you know, so many years later, he's not 
He's still working at the cafe in Castle Hill. Mm. He's a builder. So we started the process, you know, we went in and had a look. What, what year was this that you signed the lease? Oh my God. I mean, years ago now. Five, six years ago? 2014, like 2015? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And it was, um, it was, it was a fucking disaster. Like, disaster. The shop, the shop that was in there before, it was like a takeaway, it was like a takeaway place. Years ago though, like 10 years ago. And the council had no idea what they'd done with the, like, with the space. <clears throat> they thought it was like an office building or something. Mm. So, it was nuts. Like, there was like a, there was like a range hood there, but the range hood had like collapsed down. There's a massive hole in the roof. So rain was like, rain had been leaking in there for like years. Everything was fucked. The floor was done. There was, um, there was a grease trap. Couldn't even use a grease trap because the grease trap was just destroyed. And then instead of like doing something smart with it, they literally like, they covered the grease trap with a massive slab in the backyard. So there's a concrete slab over it. Shit. <laughs> so we just went through and tried to get as much information as we could before we started and realised, holy shit, this, this building doesn't even have gas connected to it. And <laughs> this was all before, like, this is after you signed the lease. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> it was like $325 a week cleaning out Kirksville. Worst case, you can just live there, right? <laughs> 100%. So, went through the process and started building the shop. Uh, my business partner, she'd already like um, gone through and done like a DA and stuff and had like, you know, all the forms and everything filled out. And it was literally just a matter of... Fitting out. Fitting out. So we had to do everything, everything from scratch. And at the same time, I was, I was still working. I was still working. And I was like, okay, well, I've got to split my time now. Sure, okay, we can do this. I've, you know, we've, we're pretty cool. Like Sarah's happy. She's supporting me, whatever, you know, I'll be able to get it done. And then a week after we signed the lease, bang, Sarah falls pregnant. Wow. And there goes all of my time. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a, I had an idea in mind of like a time frame of when everything could get done and it just went out the window. It was done. Absolutely. Like there was no two ways about it. That was it. So what ended up happening was I ended up going, working, and then after work, I would go to the shop and then Ronnie would come to the shop afterwards as well and we'd work at the shop after we'd finished our day shifts and build the shop until one, two in the morning. Wow. In the middle of like a residential area with power tools, cutting and breaking shit and it's like people were getting like really pissed really pissed but we we didn't have a choice there was nothing else we could do we needed to get the shop done Sarah's Sarah's on like a ticking timeline of when this baby's gonna pop out so we just had to try and push and get it done as quick as we could so we ended up pushing for like four or five months and just did as much as we could finalised everything got everything ready to go and then I think we, op we opened the shop. We ended up opening four months, five months later than we originally planned mm. just because of the time restraints that we had on building everything. Of course, yeah. Um, but it was like, for a while, it was 
It was hairy. Like we were burning out like you wouldn't believe. I mean, working on your feet 10 hours a day and then going and building a shop until one, two in the morning. Yeah, all that stress. The you money, know? The money, the, 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 the physical stress, the mental stress. Oh, oh Phil. <laughs> and then your wife's getting crankier and crankier as she gets more and more pregnant, you know? And then it's like, man, there's, there's got to be a breaking point sooner or later. Luckily, so, we didn't hit it. Well, the, and, and it usually gets <laughs> to that point of breaking, but obviously, you yeah. know, you got through it. What was it like when you opened the doors? Was it as expected? Was it as busy as you wanted? What was the name of it? It was called Alt. Alt. A-L-T. Okay. For, you know, alternative. Um, when we came to open the doors, luckily, I'd been in like, I'd been in the Hills District for so many years now and people knew me. So my reputation, my reputation was really good. You know what I mean? And then... When it came time to open, I approached um, I approached Simon at Reformatory, and I said, "Listen, I'm, I'm you know we're opening this shop, and and I really I really want to start with a bang. I really need a coffee that's you know bangers, just high end, as as high end as it gets. Mm. I'm like, it can't be anything that's like middle of the road. It's the only specialty coffee shop anywhere around there." Anywhere. I think the closest other place was Goodfella in Norwest. Oh, yeah. It was any kind of a, like a gold standard for anything at the time. And so I told Simon, I'm like, yeah, look, this is what we want to do. We really want to use this coffee because I, I need something that's going to attract people to the area as well as like convince the locals that what they're getting is like good. This is that alt, not at your... Yeah, yeah this okay, is yeah, alt. Yeah. Yeah, because I still wanted to charge like four dollars for a regular, four fifty five for a large. You know what I mean? Mm. So I ended up going with Simon, and then as soon as people found out, this is fucking cafe in the middle of Layla Park <laughs> selling reformatory coffee <laughs> for like four, four, five bucks. Like we got to check it out. <laughs> wow. It's like Tosh's shop. We we, we got to see what the fuck is going on here. There's this like it's Layla Park. What are you talking about? It's like a community cafe up the road. It's a not-for-profit. But that's it, you know? So there was a bit of buzz in the area because as we found out when we were building, heaps of young families had moved in mm. the last couple of years because that's all they could afford. It was close enough to the hills where they were, they were comfortable driving there and back because a, a lot of the young families live in the area, like churches and stuff. They go to Hillsong or they go to college and stuff. So they needed somewhere that was close by, mm. but was affordable. So they'd all bought around Layla Park and Kings Park and stuff. So we started building a bit of a buzz around that because they were all used to like, especially the coffee shops in the hills. You know what I mean? Mm. And now they were getting one at the doorstep. So I ended up being really fortunate because while we were building it, it was in the afternoons. So everyone was getting home from work and they were like, oh man, what are you guys doing? What the fuck is this? Like, you're creating hype and a buzz. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, if we were doing it during the day, we would have had no buzz, no hype, because everyone would have been at work, you know what I mean? And mm. no one would have known what we were doing because everything was boarded up. You wouldn't have known until like a few weeks before we opened. But because we were doing it at night, people were walking their dogs, walking around with their kids and stuff, and they'd always stop in and like, you know, have a chat. So it ended up being really fortunate that it happened like that. And then the good thing was that I talk a lot of shit. So it meant that like, 
I built a really good relationship with everyone in the area. So by the time it came to open, I had like a bunch of people waiting out the front. That's awesome. You know, which was which was awesome. It was it was special, so good. Very special. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. But at the same point, I've got to deliver it. You know, I've been talking shit for five months, <laughs> saying I'm oh, I'm a rocky world. You have no idea. You have no idea. Mm. You know, your clothes are just gonna fly off your body when you try this coffee. If it doesn't happen, I'm in trouble. Yeah. So we opened and from day one, people just started coming in just just out of sheer curiosity about what kind of an idiot would open a specialty coffee shop using reformatory coffee from Surrey Hills. It's like really well known as like really expensive high end in the middle of like Layla Park. It was insane, but it worked. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so obviously Blacktown was your first store, Layla Park. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did you have that for and did you sell it after? Did you, what was it, how did that go? So what ended, up, what ended up happening there was, it was a really funny story. So my business partners that were so interested in opening a coffee shop, as you find out from talking to a lot of owners and a lot of like industry people that deal with non-industry people is, it's always nice to think about the concept and actually like build a shop and want to own a cafe. But when it comes time to crunch and you open, you shit yourself and it's completely yeah. different. Like, so what ended up happening was we open, we're really busy. And then I'm there seven days a week, open to close. I asked my wife to come and help on the weekends as well, occasionally, because what would happen was it, it would get to like, it would get to a point where I'm there, we've got staff and then you're relying on, you're relying on like your business partners to kind of put in the effort as well. Mm. And instead, they end up vanishing for like two hours in the day to go get a haircut in the middle of service. And they should be helping you out. And they should be helping. Mm. I was like, are you fucking crazy? It's the middle of service. You're going to get a haircut? Don't have to work. It's like, I thought this is what you wanted to do this whole time. Mm. So, <clears throat> as things progressed and we got busier and busier like I really pushed that shop it was it was phenomenal like I had bloggers come out and write about it and like industry people were showing up and they're like this is amazing man you fucking opened a specialty coffee shop in Layla Park and it's busy like busy that's awesome full full house on the weekends all day during the week was like it was a bit up and down but I mean, it, you know, we were still busy enough where we were making money from day one, being able to pay our bills, pay mm. ourselves, you know. But eventually what happened was it got to the point where I was like, I'm fucking killing myself seven days a week, you know, trying to build this shop, trying to, you know, build the brand. And I'm getting like no help whatsoever. No support from your partners. Literally yeah. nothing. Mm. Just just complaint after complaint after complaint. And, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is ridiculous. You know what I mean? Mm. So, at that point, <clears throat> my cousin Jacob, shout out to Jacob, you're in Sweden now, have a fun, aren't you? Piece of shit. <laughs> Where Jacob, is he, He's in Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, he's in Sweden. <laughs> so, studying. Studying, right? Studying <laughs> Swedish women. <laughs> you're not studying engineering, you piece of shit. I know you. So what ended up happening was <clears throat> my cousin Jacob would show up to the shop every week. Every week he'd show up, mm. get coffee, long blacks, you know, whatever, get a burger, sit down, we'd talk shit for hours. And then he's like, <clears throat> I really want to do a shop. We need to do a shop. It's like, okay. 
all right. I was like, you know what, Jacob? <clears throat> Finish your uni degree. You got six months left. You got like two semesters. Finish it. Come back to me in six months. If you still want to do it, we'll fucking do it. Send him away. And then at that point, <clears throat> Blacktown was busy. It was pumping. It was fantastic. And then I said to myself, you know what? If Jacob comes back, it's done. Like, he's, he, he was working in cafe. He was, he'd been a barista for a while so at that point. knew the industry, yeah. Knew the industry, you know? So I said, fuck it. You know what? If he comes back to me and he still wants to do a shop, we'll do a shop. At least I'll have some support then and I'll be able to like at least spend a bit of time with my family at the same time instead of being there seven days a week, open and close, busting my ass with no support, mm. you know? So eventually <clears throat> Jacob came back, said, yeah, you know what? Let's do it. Fuck it. And then at that point it was like, I'm done. You know what, guys? I'm out, whatever. Um, and essentially I left. You didn't sell your shares? You didn't. You just walked <clears throat> off? Oh, I sold my shares. Okay. I never got paid for them. They still owe me. So I've still got my, I've still got my shareholder stake in the shop. Okay. But it's like, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. You were burnt out. Oh, it wasn't so much burnt out. It was more like the breaking, the, the thing that, the straw that broke the camel's back. I walked in one day. It was like a Friday morning. <laughs> I was so excited. I loved it. It was busy, but it was great. Walk in. <clears throat> I looked at the menu and I'm like, What's up with the menu? It's different. Like, oh yeah, we changed a few things. Okay. What did you change? Had a look. All the coffee pricing was gone. It was completely different. They dropped the price of coffee overnight. Dropped it. Alternatives from a dollar to 50 cents. Regulars from like $4 to like $3.80. Whatever. You know, larger, same thing. And I was like, have there been complaints? No. So what? Well, why would you drop the price? I'm like, well, it doesn't cost us that much to get alternative milk anyway. So why, why are we charging a dollar? We can just charge 50 cents. I was like, what? It's like, do you want to make money or lose money? It's like, so no one's complained. No one said anything. And you've just gone, yeah, I'm going to like cut the price of coffee and alternative milk. No one's like, I'm done. That's it. It's over. Like, if you, if, if you can't even have, like, a simple... Like, it, can you imagine? Can you imagine? You've been open for, like, six months, doing well, really busy, coffee's buzzing, everyone's having a good time, and then your business partner goes and, like, fucks the price of all the coffee and stuff. So now your overheads, you have to start worrying about. You know what I mean? If I sell like 1,200 coffees a week, what's the difference now? It means that I can't roster on another staff member for like a busy lunch rush. You know what I mean? Because we've just lost like 70 cents off each coffee. Yeah. And it's like, this is fucking insane. I'm done. No way. So that was the last straw. I said, selling out, whatever. Just fucking take it. I'm doing something else. I need to do something with oh, people yeah. that actually know the industry and actually give a shit, you know? And that was it. And I was done. I was like, Jacob, we're doing West Pennant Hills. Fuck it. Let's go. Wow. And that was it. So so what, what was it? Um, obviously, before we get to West Pennant Hills, and that was your next shop, The Valley, right? Oh, yeah. So before, and this is your baby, your current business. <laughs> oh, but my baby. 
in hindsight now, what, what kind of, what have you learned from that experience to make sure you never do it again? Never, never trust someone when they're, when they're full of hopes and dreams. If you, if you don't really take the time to actually understand what it is they're trying to say, you know what I mean? Mm. Because what happens is if you're not in the industry, you have no idea of what to expect. None. Were, I'm like, I'm sure you were the same when you were first starting out and trying to figure out if you want to get in the industry, you know, if you would have opened a shop without any experience whatsoever. Disaster. Disaster. Oh yeah, exactly. And it's like, if you don't have the experience, you don't know what to expect. You, you, you can't, you can't go into business with someone that doesn't have the same mindset as you do in terms of like hospitality environment. It won't work. Mm. They don't get it. You know what I mean? They don't understand that waking up and going to the shop 45 minutes or half an hour early is a given. It's unpaid for you. You're going there as an owner. You set up the shop for the day. It takes like half an hour, 45 minutes. You don't get there at six because you open at six. Yeah. You know, you don't fucking leave for a haircut in the middle of service. <laughs> it's just like, it's insane. And then... It, it, it really it really teaches you like to appreciate the fact that like pe- people in hospitality are a completely different breed. Mm. We're like fucking thoroughbreds. You know what I mean? That's that's honestly that's how I see it because yeah. there's a difference between being on your feet twelve hours a day and just hustling. You know what I mean? Mm. As opposed to sitting on a chair for eight hours a day on the phone or on your computer. You know. It's, it's the yeah. mindset you need to be mentally alert for that 12 hours and to be just tuned into everything going on, you know? I know it's like, you know, I might sound like such an asshole when I, when I say like everyone in hospitality are thoroughbreds. You guys behind the office chairs, you're fucking donkeys. <laughs> you know, you guys are mules. We're the thoroughbreds, <laughs> you know? But it's true. Like it takes a certain kind of person. Hospitality is a whole nother world, yeah. Oh, yeah. Unbelievably so. So, so you got... You, you and your mate, um, sorry, your cousin Jay, it was mm-hmm. cousin Jake. You, Jacob, yeah. Jacob, you find a site, the valley. Um, well, him and him and his brother-in-law Daniel found found the site because they lived literally down the road. Okay, like a, a one-minute drive down the road. And then we went and had a look at it. And I was like, yeah, okay, it's West Pennant Hills. It's a good spot. There's like a Woolies, a hairdresser, BWS. Okay. Big car park out the front. And I was like, you know what? I can tell you work in hospitality, Jacob. <laughs> you get it. It's like, you get it. <laughs> so straight away, immediately, we, um, we, we approached a landlord about signing the lease. <clears throat> we could have negotiated more on the lease, but we really wanted the space. And that shop, that little, that little complex, nothing ever comes up for rent. In that in that shopping complex. What, what was it before? Before? Before you it was a, it was an Italian restaurant before. Okay. Yeah, called Lemoncello. It was massive. And what happened was it was two shops. Lemoncello took over both, knocked the wall out, made where we are now. It was a seating area. Mm-hmm. And then the downstairs was another seating area and the kitchen. And then what happened was when Lemoncello went bust, they put the wall back up, turned it back into two shops. And then we took we took one half, and then another Italian restaurant took the other half. Okay. So it worked out really well because because it was originally two separate shops. There was already a kitchen in the oh, back. Good. 
Yeah. They'd taken the wall out, but all the tiling was there, the outlets were still there, everything was still there. So we were just like, thank God. So services, like, yes, everything was there. <laughs> everything Beautiful. was there. Everything. So, so talk to us about the process of going in partnership again with your cousin. doesn't matter if it's your cousin or friend, you're still going in partnership with someone. Um, what's the process like? Obviously, you're still there. 2018, you open. Yep. Um, what's the process? What was the process like? You know, the ups and downs of building the shop. Mm. And, and, and obviously, how's it going now? Um, the, the process was actually pretty straightforward. I mean, we, we all, we all kind of had like a similar mindset in terms of what we wanted to build. But given the space, you, you, you can kind of tell from the beginning mm. what you can do with the space in terms of like styling and whatnot. So because the shop was, it was only like 70, 75 meter square shop and it's just like a long rectangle. Like, okay, well, straight away that limits you in terms of styling. You know what I mean? You need to maximize floor space, minimize, you know, minimize the bullshit that goes around it. Like I can't have big fucking pot plants and like, mm. you know, things everywhere. Like I can't, I can't have decorations everywhere. It just, it just won't work. You'll be taking space. up too much space. Yeah. So we just said minimal Scandinavian style, you know, shop. Wide bench tops, wood cladding, um, and just stick to like real, real simple, real minimal colors, you know, and just <clears throat> have a focus on really good coffee and really, you know, really good plain food. Not Nothing, nothing too fancy. It's West Pennant Hills, um, if it was in Surrey Hills or something, you know, if it was a destination destination spot, it'd be different. But we knew from the get-go it was going to be a neighbourhood cafe, mm. hands down. It was never going to be like a huge destination spot where everyone wanted to go to to like experience, you know, experience all these fanciful dishes and stuff. It just wasn't going to – that's not what it was going to be. So we focused on that. We said we'll, we'll, get, him, we'll get him in with like coffee – and then slowly we'll start getting him in with food. Mm. Coffee know? was the main focus? 100%. Yeah. Especially coffee for a reason, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so what? obviously you've been a few years now. Um, can you talk to us a bit about the highs and lows, um, partnership, how's that going? Mm. Um, essentially just a journey of those last two years. So the, the journey, it hasn't always been smooth. Just because, you know, we're family. So it's like... Every now and then you're going to butt heads. It's, mm. it's just going to happen. Um, but the good thing was that the idea that we had and the concept that we had that we eventually like, you know, came up with and opened with never changed. You know, that, that, that side of it was really easy, really straightforward, real simple. Yep. We just wanted to do good food, amazing coffee and just provide like a service. You know what I mean? I want to I entertain everyone that comes in. I want everyone to like have a real good time with us. So the way we built the space was like that. You can hear everything. You can hear everyone. Like all the shit talking. Mm. It's all out in the open. It's fantastic. It's so good. So when we opened, that's, that's, that's essentially what we did. But the way, the, three, <laughs> the way that we all are, it's so funny. Oh my God. <clears throat> I'm I'm a real extrovert, and the others are all introverts. You know what I mean. You're an extrovert. I wouldn't have known. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I was a massive extrovert, and they were introverts. Mm. They they they'd be happy just like being in a corner and just making coffee for everyone and not saying a single word. Mm. I was the opposite. So like, 
when we opened, we we played that, you know, which was fantastic because it it meant that I had someone that could focus on coffee and I could be there as well focusing on coffee too, but I could also focus on customer service and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I could spend the majority of my time getting to know everyone, creating relationships with all the locals and stuff without having to worry about, you know, everything else going on. Mm. So it was really good. And then eventually once you start getting busier and busier, that's when you kind of like start realizing, you know, there's small little things that start bothering you, you know, even like even in a partnership, there's, there's things where as much as you'd love for it to go smoothly and as much as you'd love for it to like, you know, last forever, all happy chappy, whatever, there's certain realities as well that you have to like deal with, you know, Mm. whether it's like tax implications, pay, whatever it is, you know, um, so you're always going to butt heads every now and then on certain things, whether or not to spend money on a certain item in the shop. Is it worth it? Well, why don't we put this towards savings instead? Why don't we pay ourselves a bit more instead? But at the end of the day, you kind of have to sit down and like talk through it and just be like, well, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't do this, then it's going to affect us down the line like this, you know? Mm. And it's like, you just have to work through it. Which for us, it was easy because we just yell at each other and then it's fine. We're family. Who gives a shit? You know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but what what happened was um, as, as you know, as with anything, like everything, everything's got an expiry date, right? Mm. So like you can start off with grand plans, but eventually, you know, as, as you know, as would happen with us, um, Jacob ended up wanting to move on and, you know, go back to studying. So that's why he ended up in Sweden. You fucking piece of shit. <laughs> but, but I'm stuck here, but, but in the shop. But it ended up, obviously, the partnership on good terms, right? <coughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <coughs> it was always going to. Um, <coughs> it was It was never. It was never going to end poorly because... The, the respect was there from the beginning. Yeah. So the J- Jacob knew at any point if he left, the shop was going to still be in good hands. Mm. You know what I mean? And we just kept it going. And it just built and built and built. You know what I mean? And it gave him the freedom to be like, I'm stepping out. I want to do this now. You know what I mean? Mm. I trust you guys to like do the rest. Mm, you know what I mean? And, and that's what we did. That was a difference. Yeah. You know? Um, whereas with Blacktown, they ended up running the cafe into the ground and they're having to change spaces. <laughs> 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 so obviously you don't talk to them anymore either, do you? Oh, the fucking God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I just get I just get like Instagram messages sent to me every now and then of like what, what's being produced and what's being done. And I'm like, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, they didn't have gas. Eight months after they moved locations, what a surprise. <laughs> so it proved it showed you that what what you were doing and what they were doing. Like obviously they had no idea compared to what you were doing there. No, God no, mm. God no. Ash, can you, can you talk to me a little bit about? Um, obviously you're married, you got a little one, um, yes, another one on the way. Oh yes. So you got a lot <laughs> happening, and obviously you you know you're a very happy guy, very energetic, very mm-hmm. extroverted as you said. How's the balance of running a business and a, and having a family like the ups and lows, uh, highs and lows? Sorry. Yeah. Talk to us a bit about that. 
Um, <clears throat> it's all highs. There's no lows. What are you talking about, Phil? Everything's happy, chappy in Wonderland. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, <clears throat> love you, honey. Please don't listen to this. <laughs> but um, no, it's it's actually very very hard. Like, I think particularly for me, the way that <laughs> the way that everything worked out was. It was so bad. It, the fucking timing, Phil, the timing is the worst you can possibly imagine. First shop, sign the lease. Sarah gets pregnant like a couple of weeks later when we start building. Wow. And then what happens is shops like get out of the first shop to do the second shop. She and uh, we literally had the kid as the second shop was opening. Wow. You know, you know what I yeah. mean? Like it was, that was the time frame. And then you open the second shop and it's like a fresh start. So what do you have to do again? You have to work in the business all the time again. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was like, oh my fucking God. Um, so the stress was enormous, yeah. especially for us. We were like new parents. How'd you, how'd you cope with that? Um, I drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I drank a lot of Irish coffee. <laughs> But it was, it was, <laughs> we just, we just did. We literally didn't have time to think about it. You know what I mean? There was no point where we could stop and just be like, okay, well, yeah, you know, we can take some time and do this and do this and do this. And, you know, there was nothing. There was, there was not a single minute of the day where we could stop. We just had to do it. We just had to deal. Um, Fortunately for me, like I'm very strong-willed, very. Like I'll just keep pushing, you know what I mean? Mm. I don't break nothing, like I haven't. You know, I've, I've, I've come close, especially when like I left the first shop, mm. you know what I mean, and how it all ended, but not, nothing compared to what a lot of people like deal with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially in terms of like mental health and stuff and work-life balance. No, work, 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 life balance. You, you, you kind of know, you know, especially if you've got a small space where you're, you've got like seven, eight staff, you're always going to be relied upon. Mm. Always. Even if you're not there, you're still there. Totally. You know what I mean? Even if it's running around and doing stuff. I've, I've, I've had to ask my parents, I've had to ask Sarah to bring stuff. You know what I mean? Because we've just needed it and they've done it. Mm. So it's like, it's it's stressful, but I mean you'd you'd know if you've got a supportive partner, it, it makes it so much easier. Massive difference, yeah. I think secretly deep down they know <laughs> that if we succeed, then they succeed. A hundred percent. Oh mate, the right. the every person I've had on this podcast that's had success and done well has been on the back of having a supportive partner and, and you know, we've been blessed at Percy's, but without Aisha and my wife, same thing yeah. and hundred percent. Yeah, she's lovely. Um, thank you, sir. <sighs> So I want to talk a little bit about um, reviews. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the main reason I wanted to get you on. But obviously, you know, we all get good reviews, bad reviews. Yeah. Um, you've obviously, you're, you're happy to call people out when they give you a review that you don't feel is true. Why, why do you think it's important to call people out? And how do you deal with reviews generally? Because usually they're full of shit. <laughs> Most of the time they're full of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um. Luckily for luckily for me, if if I get a bad review, I've only ever had one, maybe two people post like a bad review online, like on Google reviews and stuff. 
And I'm like, whatever, I don't even fucking care. Mm. I'm like, someone's going to read it and go, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, you're such a fucking idiot for posting this. You, you sound like a moron. You know what I mean? But <clears throat> the real reason why I can't, I, I can't fucking deal with people leaving reviews. Like, it's, it's, it's lovely when you have a positive review. Like, don't get me wrong. It's, it's really nice. But reviews are like, oh, they're just the fucking most useless tool for judging a cafe you could ever imagine because everything is subjective. Mm. You know what I mean? I could make an 80-year-old woman an extra hot cap with three sugars, two sweeteners and fucking cream on top and she can give me a five-star review. Yeah. I know it tastes like shit. Everyone else would try it and be like, this is fucking garbage. But you'll still leave a five-star review. But then you'll get the other ones that leave a review where it's like, I'll give you an example. It's a great example because <clears throat> it, just, it just goes to show, it, like, honestly, like how fucking insane people are. People come in, couple, like mum and mum and daughter come in at 2.55 in the afternoon. We close at 3. Come in at 2.55. Sit down, look at the menu. And then the mum's like, I want an iced latte. Okay. Like iced coffee. Not iced latte. Iced coffee. Like, okay, so you just want an iced latte? It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, okay. Make it for her. Take it back. You got sugars, sweetness? Yeah, sure. Okay. Puts two sugars in. Puts two sweeteners in. Stirs it. Drinks it. <laughs> this tastes fucking garbage. Where's the ice cream and the whipped cream on top? Like, what? But we, don't, we, don't, we don't do that. She's like, every cafe does that shit. What do you mean you don't do that? It's ice cream and cream. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Make it again, same problem. Make it again with ice cream, same problem. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with this person? You know what I mean? And then they message me afterwards, blasting me online for like shit service, shit, you know, shit coffee because she wanted iced coffee with cream and ice cream and whatnot. It's just like, so I'm there and I'm like, I respond to her and I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? What, what are you saying right now? I, I don't understand what you want out of this interaction. Mm. You know what I mean? And then she's like, no wonder you were so fucking quiet and we were the only ones there. You came five minutes before we closed. It's like, what are you talking? It's like, yeah. were you trying to personally insult me now? It's like, what's the point of this? You know what I mean? And it's like, it's it's constant, you know, and stuff like that. I don't get it often, but usually a bad review is like, they just there's just there's just something there that they don't understand. You know what I mean? When they're posting a bad review where it's like, I'm going to fucking show him. I'm like, no, you're not. You think I'm just going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, please come back. I'll fucking give you a free one. Shut up, bitch. So <laughs> like I'm not dealing with it. No chance. Fucking go somewhere else. Go to Gloria Jeans. Mm -hmm. And then it ended up, I was like, spoke to her for a bit. And then she's like, 
She, I don't know, I can't remember what she said. But then I was like, well, did you fucking read the menu? And she's like, what do you mean did I read the menu? I just assumed your iced coffees were fucking maybe. And I'm like, so you looked at the menu, you read the description, right? And then you said to yourself, yeah, iced coffee, yeah. Ice, milk and coffee. That's, that's what's on the menu. I'll order an iced coffee. And then when it comes in, it doesn't have it then I'm going to kick up a fuss and act like a fucking idiot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, why? Why? Don't leave me a good review. Don't leave me a bad review. Just fucking come and enjoy the experience. That's all I want. Like even regulars and stuff. They keep asking me like, you don't have a lot of reviews. You've only got like a hundred and something reviews online. Like they're all good. But you know, you guys are always so busy. Why don't you? And I'm like, because I don't care. Like, I don't encourage it. I don't push it. Mm. You know what I mean? The regulars always ask me, oh, you're, yeah, we can leave you. And I'm like, just please don't. Just just come and enjoy the experience when you're here. Just vote with your feet. <clears throat> 100%. Yeah. I don't fucking care. Like, what, what Reviews has done is, it's, it's created like this. It's created this, this, it's almost like an... In- it's not an, it's not even entitlement it's not even that it's the wrong way of saying it like what it, what it's done is it's it's created an environment where cafe owners cater to the wrong people they don't cater to the right people and the right audience anymore mm. you know because the person that comes in every day that's a regular of mine right always going to have a good experience you know but then if you if you if you kind of let people just go ham on reviews and stuff like they have been with Google and whatnot and they can just leave whatever the fuck they want and stuff it's like what it does is it it sullies it sullies the the reputation of the guy who might be coming there every day and telling his friends to come as well because he says it's amazing but then when his friends go and look online they're like oh yeah but it says here that like the iced coffee doesn't come with cream and ice cream and there's all these complaints about this and there's like complaints about that. And it's like, yeah, but you're not looking at like, you're not looking at the at, at the bigger picture here. Your friend's telling you the cafe is amazing. Go check it out. <clears throat> the first instinct is to read the fucking reviews online. Instead of just going and being like, yeah, I'm just going to go on the weekend and try it out. It's going to be sick. Okay, let's see what it's all about. They read the reviews on Google, Facebook, Yelp, whatever. And it's like, it, it, it immediately just sets, you know, sets like a bad impression in their minds yeah. of like, oh, why does it have this review? Why does it have that review? Owner's rude. What? I mean, I've never had that before, but that, that's because I, I abuse you in person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. not in a bad way, but like with my regulars and stuff, like we've all got a joke course, at the yeah. shop, you know. You're coming on a Monday morning looking like shit. It's like, fucking hell, Jeff. You've been on the bags on the weekend? <laughs> so, why do you look like shit? It's Monday morning, bro. You've got till Friday to go, baby. You know? Uh, and, and, and so, <clears throat> it's not something you, you, you spend too much time thinking about? Nah, I couldn't give a shit. I yeah. couldn't fucking care less. And that one review, the old bird, the only reason is I keep that as like an example. And that's it. Otherwise, I couldn't care less. Don't don't come to my shop if you're after a fucking review. Yeah, that's not what my shop is. That's mm. never what my shops are ever going to be about. You know what I mean? Well, y- your shop is obviously probably 
best known. Obviously, you got great food, but best known for its its excellent coffee. Yeah, high standard. Oh ha- yeah. How's how's the coffee changed in your opinion in the industry since you started till now? The the coffee industry. The industry. Yeah. In all in all honesty. And who's your favorite and least favorite? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Let's talk about let's talk about the, the the industry and how it's changed. I might have to change address. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> in all honesty. Um, the the industry the industry's actually changed. I know I know this is going to sound really bad, but it's actually changed for the worse. It's way worse. In what way? So, <clears throat> before, when people first started drinking coffee, right? Where would they usually go? They would go to like Starbucks. Italian, no, oh, you don't know, pre, pre pre Starbucks. You mean? Yeah, yeah, pre Starbucks and stuff, or anything like that. You'd go to like like an Italian deli. You know what I mean? Mm. Or like. So somewhere where you would expect to find a coffee, you know, doesn't matter if it's good or bad, you expect it because you're like, yeah, it's like a little Italian joint. Oh shit, I'll go have an espresso. Yes, you know. Mm. And then <clears throat> over time, as with everything, comes a commodity. It gets bigger and bigger. People want to make more and more money off it. And then what happens is <clears throat> you end up buying coffee for a dollar at fucking 7-Eleven when you're filling up petrol. Why would you fucking go 7-Eleven for, for, for a coffee? You go in there to pick up petrol, packet of chips, whatever. Like, well, why? What's, what's the point? What are you offering? A cheap dollar coffee? Mm. That's fucking crap. Like, what does that do for the industry? And it's... The problem is now is that it's at a point where <clears throat> coffee farmers, coffee farmers are like, I'm literally making like 0.2 of a cent off the coffee I'm selling because this guy's buying it for his fucking 7-Eleven business. You know what I mean? He's selling it for a dollar. If he's selling it for a dollar, how much is going back to the farmer? Mm. You know what I mean? It's true. And like as amazing it is that... <clears throat> All these, all these roasteries are working closely with the farmers now and giving them a bigger cut. It's only getting worse. Is, you know, you know what I mean. It's it's so it's so bad now where like farmers are just walking off their walking off the properties and just leaving the crops to die, and that's it. It's gone. Wow. The generation's gone. Like you'll never get it back. You know what I mean. And that's because <clears throat> instead of people like us who want to focus on like an amazing quality coffee where like every cup is fucking bang on. It's amazing. The flavor's there. Everything's there. Price is premium, but the product is premium. You know? You've got like, you've got coffee everywhere. It's everywhere. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's like, you, you can't, you can't keep, you can't keep pushing like this. You can only grow to a certain point before the industry just collapses. Yeah. You know what I mean? And whereas before the coffee might not have been, like the quality might not have been as good. The problem now is the quality is amazing, but there's so, there's so much of it out there and there's so much shit going around that it's, it's not sustainable. Mm. You know what I mean? Which means that like, whereas before you could, you could guarantee at least some sort of, some sort of experience. Mm. Nowadays, it's like. So, are you worried that you're not going to the, the the high quality coffee won't be around in five, ten years time? Oh no, I think it'll be around. 
I think we'll be charging a shitload more for it. Charging for per cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony wanted to know, Anthony from Goodfields wanted to know, what are you... <laughs> of course he did. So, for example, um, for, for us, where we are, the way, <laughs> the way that we structure our coffee is, um, it's a premium. Like, it's an absolute premium. It's very expensive. You're, who are you using at the moment? So, still using Reformatory. Yeah. Um, still using Reformatory because I've got a really good relationship with Simon and Ravi and stuff. They're, they're like, Simon, <clears throat> I can't even explain him in terms of like a person. He's fucking crazy. He's like you, you know? but coffee focused. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> crazy, but coffee focused. <laughs> and just so much more, ex- like just the Don, the Don by mm. far. There's him and there's Sasha. You know what I mean? In my eyes. Mm. From honor. And that's it. You know what I mean? That's it. Pioneering. Always. Always pushing. Always. So like, we, we set our pricing structure, $4 for a six ounce, $5 for 12, a dollar for alternatives and shut the fuck up about the complaining. I don't want to hear the complaints. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, <coughs> what happens is you can find you can find a million roasteries to supply you with coffee. You know what I mean? Um, <coughs> but what you find most of the time is they're so full of shit. They're so full of shit. And they sell their coffee for like an unbelievable premium. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's like, you're going to fucking charge me like $30, $32 for a kilo of coffee. I know what's in this. You know what I mean? What are you fucking charging me? You know? This isn't going to anything. It's just, it's just lining pockets. I, I can guarantee it it is. Mm. You know? So like, for us, it was more a case of like, finding niche roaster, amazing quality, and just being like, you know what? We want to offer the best we can. Offer it as like a service, you know. No, it's it's not just it's not just grab and go, you know. Like it's that's don't, don't ever think about coffee like that. If you just think about it as like a quick, you know, grab and go like McDonald's, you're fucked from day one. Mm. You might as well charge a dollar for coffee. Yeah, you know. So we said we're going to charge a premium, and that's it. We're never looking back. Four dollars for a small, five dollars for a large, dollar for alternatives. And then the pricing structure gets more and more expensive if you want pour overs and batch brew and whatnot, yeah. you know? Um, because we're, we're the experience. We're the ones that are like getting the most out of this coffee for you, mm. you know? What, what blows my <clears throat> mind is um, obviously I don't drink, but you go, you go to a, a pub and you grab a beer, they open it for you and they give it to you and they charge you $7, $8, whatever. Oh, yeah. But you go to a cafe and yeah. you've got a barista. You need uh, most times two baristas on the machine, Easily, making yeah. sure you know wastage. Pour, you know, getting the exact measurements, weighing every shot, and then you're only charging four dollars. So I love the fact that yeah. you're you're unapologetic when it comes to charging what you charge. And if anything, it should be charged more. We should 100%. be charging more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but because, a- because even then, so think about it like this, right? If someone's charging you thirty dollars a kilo for coffee, <clears throat> how much wastage do you want out of that bag? In all honesty. At 30 bucks, you can't be wasting much. <laughs> so what does that mean? 
that shot's been that's been sitting on the fucking tray for like ten minutes. You can't use that. You, you think you can't use it, can you? But if you're paying thirty dollars a kilo, how much worse do you feel throwing it out? Hundred percent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It means that like you want to provide someone with a with with a value in that cup. But if you're paying that much money per kilo, you can't afford to anymore. You know, unless you're charging eight dollars for a fucking coffee, we're not there yet. We soon will be. <laughs> Just wait. You'll be the first in Australia to be charging eight bucks. Oh right? my god! <laughs> if I'm the first, I don't even care. I'll do it with two middle fingers in the air, to everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, and and again, I, I love the way that you know, unapologetic about it, and I love the way you just like, no, this is it. This is how it is. If you don't like it, oh, bad luck. Go to Woolies and pay three fifty. And then you can abuse me afterwards when you're drinking it and you're like, this is fucking crap. And I've seen it happen before because I watch them walking to the car when they go and get coffee from Woolies and they take a few sips and they see their face. It's just grimace. Like, what the fuck did I just buy? Mm. It's like, yes, you saved 50 cents and now you're drinking shit. What's happened is you just wasted the money that you could have spent on my shop, had a decent cup, started your day off well. Yeah. But instead, you're going to throw half of it out. Yeah, I think I think it's important just an education piece, so so our guests and our customers know, hey, this is why you're you're paying five dollars plus this for hundred percent. Yeah, I don't I don't have like, I'm I'm the head barista and I'm the owner. I've got like ten years experience in the industry. Most of my other staff are all seniors. They've all got years and years of experience in the industry. Mm. We're not fucking working in the fruit and veg section one day, making coffee the next day because that's where we've been rostered. You know yeah, what I mean? It's a specialty. Yeah. Or like, I'm not going to Gloria Jeans or somewhere else and getting a fucking coffee from an 18-year-old uni student that couldn't give a shit because their career is going to change in a year's time. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, that's the other biggest thing that has to change. <clears throat> if you want to be a barista, if you want to do it as a job, there needs to be a higher standard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Than a three-hour fucking course in the Dimmicks building. You know? <clears throat> and that's it. Yeah. It should be like an extensive course where you actually have to learn each step of the process and, and realize and understand so that, that way you can appreciate it a bit more, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a hard thing as well. Obviously, the industry, we have a lot of people where hospitality is a bit of a stopgap where they, they're, f- it's, they're filling in time between their oh, yeah. uni and their job. So, um, Osh, what's what's... You've obviously got a lot of goals and plans and dreams for in the uh-huh. industry. What's next for you? Obviously, you're still with the, you got the valley, and that's mm-hmm. doing great. What's next for you? And and what 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 dreams and plans do you have for the future? What's next? What's next? Oshfields. Oshfields. Get ready, Anthony. <laughs> I actually like that. Oshfields. <laughs> um, <clears throat> in all honesty, oof, that's a hard one. Before COVID, I think the end. I think it would have been a lot harder to do things to, to actually like expand mm. as weird as that sounds pre COVID, I would have been happy. I would have been super content with the Valley doing what I was doing. And then eventually you sell, you move on, you open something else, you know, it's a process. Yeah. But since COVID, what, what, what it's done to the industry is something beautiful. It's amazing. As bad as it sounds. I know everyone's going to hate me, but Everyone, all these cowboy operators are just slowly fucking off and well, just leaving. It's weeded out the 
100%. The tier two, tier three businesses, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. The ones that get in it for the wrong reason because they have a lot of capital, they invest it thinking, I can make some fucking money doing this, can't I? And then they realise, holy shit, it actually takes a lot of work. Yeah. It's like the hardest thing you will ever do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's going to create a lot of opportunity for like real operators that actually want to push the industry forward to actually do something about it, mm. you know, and actually push the industry forward instead of knocking it back 10 years by fucking idiots that don't know what they're doing. So it's actually good. I'm definitely going to like, definitely looking at opportunities wherever I can mm. to just, <clears throat> it, it, in all honesty, it's more a case of like, if I see an opportunity where there's like an area, because I, I like to focus on community cafes. Yeah, suburban. Suburban. Yeah. You know, it's all locals. It's all I care about. Yeah. So if opportunities come up to do local suburban cafes, I'll look at every single site that pops up. Yeah. Every si- just to see not just what's out there, but also to kind of gauge, you know, with the communities. It doesn't have to be the same one. Like West Penn and Hills is amazing. It's a very affluent community. I don't know if anyone knows, but it's like... Old white money. And if anyone Very if old. anyone mentions this podcast <laughs> when they go to his shop, it's a free coffee, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. I'll even give you a cuddle from behind. Wow. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. Men, um, women, no children. So <clears throat> yeah, I'm definitely looking to expand. It's just a matter of the right opportunities and you know, it just you just have to you just have to be smart about what you're doing now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and is do you see yourself being a multiple operator, or would you rather buy and sell? No, definitely multiple operator. Um, multiple venue operator, yeah, sorry. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's just the way that my brain is wired. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, the the good thing is, if if you're a good operator, you can you can not just train staff, but also you can you can help them realize that like you know what you can actually make a career out of this yeah you know what i mean you might not see yourself as a barista because you're doing something else but no i was like that as well you know what i mean but if if you have the passion for it then then why not like i can honestly say i'd made more money as a barista than i'd ever make as a lawyer starting out Mm. for at least the first five ten years you know what i mean yeah and it's like why, why would i why would I even consider, you know what I mean, not being a brister if I can make good money doing something that I love? You know what I mean? You're following your passion. And 100%. following your passion. Like, yeah. it's, just, it's just stupid to even like not consider it. Yeah. Well, talking about passion, um, you know, one of the biggest things I tell people when they're starting out is if you're not super passionate, don't get involved. What's the one piece of advice you give to someone starting out? Pucker up, buttercup. <laughs> Pucker oh, yeah. up, buttercup. <laughs> I love that. It's um, on, honestly, you you have to you have to prepare to realize that this is going to be a lot of fucking work. Mm. You might think it won't be, but it is. It is a lot of work, but the reward is amazing. You know what I mean? Like people don't realize the effect you have when you're in hospitality on like people's lives when they walk through the door. You know, um. <clears throat> And the difference is for a lot of people, <clears throat> they might come to you in the mornings and they might be having like the, the most unbelievably miserable time when they walk in the door. But you can change that and they can leave happy. 
Mm. You know, you don't know what's going on. But if you want to get into the industry, you need to you need to get into it knowing that you're not just going to be like a cafe owner. You're also going to be psychologist. You're going to be a father. You're going to be like son. You know, you're going to be a daughter. You're going to be everything to people mm. based on what they want to think of you as. You know what I mean? Like I've got people at the cafe like grandparents and mums and stuff that like love me to bits. You know what I mean? They love me to bits. Who doesn't love you, Ash? Oh, shit. I can name a few. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to... No. <laughs> <clears throat> but it's... um Yeah, you, you honestly need to be a hundred things. A yeah. hundred things at once and just realise that this is, this is the industry. It's hospitality. You have to be hospitable. Mm. You know what I mean? And if... If, if you can, you have to make the most of like all your interactions with people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it comes with the territory. So just expect it and just like be prepared. You might have days where you're really low because people are like, a woman walks in and she's like, oh, my husband just died of cancer. What? <laughs> it's like, I've been just serving you for like the last six months. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like instantly you've become something else to them. Yeah, you're not just, you're not just, you're not a just serving a coffee. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's so true, man. And it, and it is true. And, and at the end of the day, it is hospitality. And, you know, Danny Myers says it best. Uh, sorry, um, Howard Schultz from Starbucks says, yeah. you know, we're in a people game. We only happen to sell food and coffee, which, yeah. You know, so what? Um, Even though I don't like his coffee. <laughs> they, they actually use amazing coffee. They just don't execute it. I oh, know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what, what's, one, what's one thing you want people to say about your venue after they've visited? I can't fucking believe how loud you guys are. <laughs> so you're loud and proud. I love that. And all right, I've got one more question before we wrap up. Um, but is there anything else you feel that I should have added? Obviously, I'll probably get you on this podcast again because we can chat for hours. 100%. Um, but is there anything you feel that I've missed that maybe would be add, add value to this podcast, to this episode? You do a pretty good job, Phil. Thanks, brother. Yeah, Thank you, sir. You need to get video involved soon, though. Well, it's, yeah, well, that's yeah. 2021. Yes. <laughs> and then you get a co-host named just, Osh. Just just if everyone can see Osh and, and just this <laughs> big smile that he's got and, and he's just this energy that it brings out, which which is uh, it's amazing. So um, final question I have yes. is how much of his success do you put down to hard work and how much to luck? It's all hard work. Luck is bullshit. But like you can't go into the industry – and think, you know what? Yeah, fuck, all I need is a bit of luck. <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> Bullshit. We have to work your fucking ass off. If you don't, you won't succeed no matter what you do. Doesn't matter how much money you have, won't happen. Mm. That's it. Yeah, I love that. Like, luck. Don't worry about luck. If you're relying on luck, you're fucked from day one. Mm. That's it. Hard work. I love that. And that obviously that question um, is from how I built this, you know, Guy Roz and he always talks and, he, and it's it's such a great question because everyone has a different look on it and different view on it. So, Oh, yeah. Um, Osh, obviously, like I said, uh, the, the respect you have in the industry is huge. Everyone that knows specialty coffee knows you. You know, that kind of goes hand in hand. So um, I have super respect for you, man, and what you've, what you've done in the industry and I, and I can't wait to see what you. You do, what you do next. Oh, thank you, Phil. I what? can't wait to see what I do either. <laughs> <laughs> love you, brother. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. Love you too, bro.